Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the give on. I know that this is the sermon that people are going to be like, uh, Acts chapter 1 is Jesus saying, Acts 1.8, and you will be, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be on my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I told you that we're doing the sermon series on doing things the right way. And to do that, we had to reference some of the early chapters in Acts, uh, how the apostles started in Jerusalem. But Acts actually lays out exactly like Luke said in that Luke or Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Luke is telling the story in two parts. He's telling the Jesus story in the Gospel of Luke, and then he's telling the early church story. Now, most people say that's the early church story. I want to say Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit, right? This is the Holy Spirit working out Jesus' salvation in the early church. What started in Jerusalem, Acts 2 through 8, they're in Jerusalem, and then they suffer persecution. So they spread out in Judea and Samaria, and they plant this church in Antioch, and from Antioch to the ends of the earth. There is this missionary movement that Paul starts and has three of them. On his way back from the third one, we're going to get into a a conversation today about doing hard things. When he gets close to Jerusalem, they're telling him, don't go any farther. Don't, it's gonna, when you get to Jerusalem, it's not good. And Paul is going to do the hardest of things. He's going to return where he's not wanted. Now, Doing hard things seems like it's pretty easy, but everybody, let's just try this. Put your fingers together like this. Let's try something very hard. We're going to start simple. Now, the two fingers usually go this way really well, right? I want this finger to go forward, and I want this finger to go backwards. Now, how many of you, your brain is just sort of tripping right now? You're like, I can't. It's hardest. This is working your left brain and your right brain at the same time. I know some of you are like, I can, I can do it. It's not working. You know, just... It's, okay, try this one. Let's try another one. Put your finger and your pointy finger, your thumb and your pointy finger, and your thumb and your pinky finger, and then rotate them. But you're not doing them the same, right? This one started pointy in thumb. This one started. Some, some of you are like, I got a finger for you, preacher. <laughs> okay, easy. Easy. Why is that hard? Okay, when you do that, usually... Those are the moments people will go, this is stupid. Here's what's not stupid about it. If you want to play a guitar, you're going to have to figure out what to do with this hand and what to do with this hand, right? Dylan keeps making fun of me trying to play the drums. I'm like, I'm a no, I'm a no. But the only thing I know how to do is like hit sticks down. You know, I'm like Braxton, man. It's just like beat, drum, beat, drum, right? Versus you have to do this, right? Right, the foot. The hands, everything's doing something different. You're like, what the heck is going on, right? Piano's the same thing. You got 10 fingers, you got a whole bunch of keys, they're moving. How do you do two things? It's hard. And, and I want to exercise, if you will, our spiritual direction to do hard things. We have to do hard things spiritually as well if we want to be able to learn and grow and really be an instrument, if you will, for Jesus, okay? So let's look at Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 1, 10 through 15 tells us a simple beginning of his entrance to Jerusalem. Now, Paul's finishing his third missionary journey, 
and he's coming back to Jerusalem. Here's what it says. Several days later, a man named Abagus, Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, takes Paul's belt from him. Now Paul is returning to Jerusalem. He's not there yet. He's in a, a small city on, on the shore, and he's getting ready to enter to go to Jerusalem. And Agabus takes his belt, and he binds himself. He binds his hands and his feet. And then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. Luke, who wrote this, this book of Acts, says, we heard this, we as the local believers all begged Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But he said, why all the weeping? Are you, you're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord will be done. In verse 15, after this, we packed our things, and with Paul we went to Jerusalem. Anybody ever returned somewhere that it was hard for you to go back there because it was different than you remember it? That place you grew up all of a sudden changes, and when you go back to it, there's, there's difficulty to it. Sometimes we as a, a society, we know children who have been in abusive scenarios, and as they get older, They'll say you want to confront that person or the, the abuse and to go back to that childhood home and to weep bitterly because you remember what a place of innocence was supposed to be and that it is no more. But you want to do that hard task of finding closure and knowing that that does not have control over you anymore. And we have incredible examples of this. I'm reading the, the Gulag Archipelago, uh, Alexander Solstein, Gesundheit. Uh, he is the writer, author of the Gulag Archipelago, which is a story about Russia. When you go from Lenin to Stalin, Lenin in 1917 and the beginning of the Communist Party. But here's how that developed. They went out and they said, hey, we're going to all have common stuff. So what that means is you landowners, we're going to take that from you. And then we're going to let you work on it collectively and give to the state. And then landowners were pushing back on this going, no, you, what is going on? Uh, workers and factories are saying, wait a second, how come you're not giving me my right rate of pay? It led from Lenin to Stalin, and Stalin then was even harsher about it. it upwards of 20 to 40 million Russians died during the time of the gulags. The gulags were concentration camps, where basically if you said that was my land, Stalin said, uh, you are against the state, and they threw him in a concentration camp. Most of us only think of, of you know, the Nazi concentration camps. This was going on for decades in Russia. Millions had died. And, and of course, what Alexander is saying is, this is my home country. This is my, my land. He was exiled for a time, but he said, I go back. This is my home. It was different than when he left. He had served in the Red Army, fought World War II on behalf of the Allies, overcoming the Nazis, and then he was thrown in a concentration camp. Immaculate Liebigitza wrote a book, Left to Tell. If you want a cautious but incredible story, you should read Immaculate's book, Left to Tell. It's the Rwandan uh, genocide, 1994. The Hutus were the majority of people, but they felt like the Tutsis 
were put in uh, these elite positions, and finally uh, the leader was, the plane was shot down, and the Hutus said enough, and this sort of guerrilla warfare began where they just went and slaughtered the, the Tutsis. Immaculate is one of seven women who, in order to survive as a Tutsi, seven Tutsis women were put in a pastor's a bathroom. They went to the pastor and said, hide us, help us in the dead of night. And he had a back bathroom, private bathroom. And when they went in there, all seven of them, he put a, a bookcase in front of it and nobody could see the door or that that room was there. But it was so small that the seven women had to mostly stand and would rotate during the day for three months. One would sit, the others would stand and they'd rotate. Immaculate was freed, and she went back to Rwanda, and 60 Minutes does uh, a great portrayal of that a difficult moment in her life. But as she would say, this is my homeland. This is my family. Wanting to go back because the people you love are there, even if you know there are people who don't want you there, may hurt you. This is exactly what Paul is doing. He's changed. He's had the road to Damascus. He is no longer the one persecuting Jesus, but serving Jesus. But he's going back to Jerusalem. And think about this. People he knew, the Jerusalem, the Zealots, the Pharisees, now that the early church has been going gangbusters, they're so frustrated with this Christian movement. And now this this leader of church planting is coming back to Jerusalem and he is going to be attacked and beaten by those who were at one time his friends. So I say we have to sometimes do hard things. Now I know you're saying, why do we have to do hard things? Now let's just be honest. If you want to exercise... You're going to have to do hard things, right? I've always wanted to be able to get up and run a mile, but then I get up and I go, man, this mile was really hard. But then I run for a while and I get a few months down the road and then three miles, that's hard, but one mile isn't hard. You do hard things so that you can get better at what it is that you're doing. This is true in parenting and marriage. You do hard things in marriage. If you avoid hard things in marriage, the marriage dissolves. Hard things is having the conversation. What do you need to talk about? What is the issue at hand? And when you let it go, you let it fester, that when it comes up, it'll be more explosive and more detrimental. Same is true when I talk to parents. They say, well, how do we raise our kids? Uh, my kids are yelling at me. They're disrespectful. They don't listen to me. And I go, you better short up now or it's only gonna get worse. And I listen to me, parents. This is exactly one of the things we're struggling in our culture today, but it's easier to not deal with it now, to let them do what they want, and you think they're going to respect you later in life, and they won't. Find a way to set those appropriate boundaries today for your children so that later in life they're not only better humans, but you have a better relationship with them. We're called to do hard things. Even though we live in a culture where we don't want to do hard things. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets to win. I get that. Flag football made a tournament out of it. I'm like, seriously, man. They're like three. Like, like Remy is laying down while they're running around her. Just sort of, I'm tired. I'm done. You know? I don't want the coach to go, get up and tackle. She's three. It's okay. It doesn't have to begin now. But at some point, not everybody gets a trophy. At some point, we have to do hard things, and we have to encourage our kids to do hard things. How do we do that? 
Well, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons to do hard things, and then I'm going to tell you why. So we're going to give you the how and the why. First of all, here's how you do hard things. The reason you're not having the conversation in marriage that you're supposed to have, the reason you're not challenging your children when you're supposed to, is you don't believe they're going to give you the proper response. Now, follow what we said in Acts chapter 3. That is a relationship without hope. I'm going to play this out with you for a minute. When I say to somebody, you're going to have to confront them. They say, but I can't confront them or they'll get mad. Now, notice what they just injected. You believe they're going to go negative in this conversation. So I say, so you don't trust them. Oh, no, I trust them. No, you don't trust them because if you trust them, you talk to them and you'd expect a positive response, which would be, let's work this out together. And ultimately they go, I guess I don't really trust them. When I tell them something that they're doing that's hurting me, they're going to get mad. They're going to get defensive. They're going to get passive aggressive. And I go, well, let's go around that. Would you rather it be pushed under the rug for the rest of your marriage? Would you rather not deal with it the rest of your life? Or would you rather confront it and get it out of the way? When you transition into doing hard things because you have hope, what is on the other side of this conversation? Even if they don't respond the way you'd like to respond, getting it out in the open is incredibly satisfying. So how do you do hard things? You have hope about what is supposed to happen. Paul went into Jerusalem not thinking about being arrested. Paul went into Jerusalem believing that in Jerusalem, more things would happen for Jesus than otherwise. He would encourage the apostles. He'd encourage the early church. He'd encourage those being persecuted. And he was hopeful about those interactions. The other thing I'd encourage you to do is to plan for doing those hard things. Plan them. You gotta plan the conversation. You've gotta plan for what you'd like to say. You gotta plan for what a solution might look like. You'll feel better about going into it with a plan rather than going into it just aimlessly shooting off at the mouth. Paul had done three missionary journeys, going to Jerusalem. He went back into the marketplace, if you will. He was quite adept at speaking on Jesus' behalf, knowing what to say, knowing what to challenge when people would challenge him. But lastly, you just simply have to do it. I kind of joke with you guys all the time about things that I'm not comfortable with and then I'm given the opportunity to do it. Um, I love to sing. I've always loved to sing. But I was the closet singer when I was a kid, right? I remember uh, my brother laughing at me when I got done mowing the yard one time. Uh, six, seven years old, we had a riding lawnmower. I get done riding the lawnmower for a half acre, and I get off, and my brother's laughing hysterically. And I'm like, what's so funny? And he's got that little tape cassette he'd been recording because I was singing so loud. Lawnmowers are loud. I didn't think anybody could hear me. Apparently, you can. This recording of me just, just belting it out. I think one of my favorites when I was a kid was, Oh, God is an awesome God. He raised fire. And I'm just making figure eights, having a blast, man. Dad was never happy with the way I mowed the yard. <laughs> just sort of fluid with it. I got to college, and uh, the senior vocal person was taking, you know, she was majoring in, in being a, a vocalist. And she said her senior project was me. And I said, what do you mean? She was cute. I said, I'll, I'll, whatever you want, I'll do it. She said, sing Amazing Grace. So she recorded me again. I remember my brother. And I'm like, I do not like to be recorded when I'm singing. Then she gave me vocal lessons for six weeks. And then, here's the hardest thing. I thought it was hard enough to sing in front of her. She stood me up in front of the class. Like, I had to go in front of the class. She played the, the song that I sang, and then she said, now let's do it again. And I had to sing a second time in front of all of her peers, these seniors in college. And I'm going, 
I didn't sign up for this. You know, if you don't do those hard things, I talk to people about singing all the time. I go, you got to sing from the diaphragm. You got to sing from the lower part of your lungs. That's terrifying because it gets louder and you don't like when you sound louder. And I go, you're only going to get better when you do it more. You're only going to get better in your marriage when you do the hard things more. And I know you're asking the question right now. You're like, but if I do hard things, then does it only get harder? What's the value in that? Let me give you some reasons you want to do hard things, okay? The reason you want to go back into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is representing those relationships that matter to you, that seem to have been off course. And you ask the question, what am I supposed to do about that? We're doing the hard things. We're going in and having hard conversations to let people know how we want things to be different. Just as Paul went back into Jerusalem. First of all, if you do hard things, it creates perseverance. James 1, 2, and 3. Consider a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The more you do something, the more adept you become at it. It's no hill for a climber if you've been there before. In fact, people will come in and, and they look at my wife and I. Uh, I think, I'm going to point out, Drew was in the car when we were driving along and we decided to have a debate about masks. Because me and my wife are on opposite sides on some of these issues. Like when you want to say, you know, birds of a feather flock together, not my house. Like we're all individual birds. Like, I'm like it's amazing nobody's just had a feather mess of, you know, because we're in the car, and he thinks we're, we're really going at it, right? It was concerning, because I'm like, I shouldn't have to wear a mask. I've been vaccinated. Well, nobody knows you've been fat. I don't know if my wife talks like this. What it sounded like to me. Well, nobody knows if you wear a mask, so you wear it, and then it's to be safe. And I don't know why it matters, because kids at school, it doesn't see. I go, it does matter. If I was a kid at school, I would say, off with this. I'm not wearing it. I'd rebel. I'd be in the principal's office the whole time. This is in our car. Poor Drew in the back is going, uh, can we stop? I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> he didn't say that. It was one that we actually survived. To us, it wasn't arguing. It wasn't fighting. It was just, it was just kind of fun in marriage. <laughs> but most of you know, that's my favorite thing in our marriage. <laughs> she's so cute when she's angry. <laughs> you do hard things. It's not hard for us to have hard conversations because now we're better at it. You do that in parenting when it's hard to control the kids probably because you've let it go too long. But when you create boundaries... My mom once said, I'm only giving them an hour of screen time. She was a psychologist, and she said, the things that kids can do on their screens nowadays, and they're like, but they're 14, they're 15. She says, I don't care. When they're 18 and they graduate, they were doing conversations about how our children are behaving. She says, they don't mind at all. In fact, they appreciate it. They love the fact they can tell their friends, you can't get a hold of me. I'll check my Snapchat. I get an hour off of school. This is when I can check it, or this is when I can play games. She said it's, it's healthier. There's too much entering their brains on that little screen too soon. And we as parents struggle to have boundaries with that. Well, I'm always on it, so why don't I just, it's not fair for me to be always on it. And then, no, they're kids. If that's your work, if that's your interaction, and maybe it's your own vice that you have to work with, but that's not, that's not a shared, similar scenario for your kids. Do hard things. You'll create that perseverance, that ability to adapt with it. Also, it creates great confidence, by the way. You have a healthier marriage. You have a healthier relationship with your children. 
Now, one thing I want to give as a caveat, doing hard things does not mean you do wrong things and then suffer the consequences. Those consequences may feel hard. That's not what we're talking about. Doing hard things means suffering the consequences and then making it right. Doing hard things is making the phone call to somebody because you left them hanging or you said something that hurt their feelings. Doing hard things is not living with the guilt. Doing hard things is making it right. I tell people all the time, don't make excuses, make it right. Don't make excuses, make it right. That's the right way Christians behave. And when we do it, it creates confidence that we can fix problems in the world because we address them. We're not afraid of them. I want you to also identify how doing hard things is an influence. Nobody cares that you say you're a Christian. People believe because of how you behave. People believe because of how you behave. As Christians, when we do hard things, people see. Your kids notice. Your coworkers notice. When you're not willing to fudge and, and sort of push the boundary lines a little bit farther and make them uh, insignificant, people notice. The greatest witness we can have in the church in the world today is having those difficult conversations and being transparent. But lastly, I want to leave you with this. Paul went into Jerusalem because his reward was not Jerusalem. Does everybody know what his reward is, right? His reward is the kingdom of God. He gives me goosebumps to think about how important my life is to live the right way until the day comes when I die. Now, if you're only thinking about being six feet under and you're afraid of death, then you don't see the kingdom the way I do. You don't see the kingdom the way the gospel teaches. You don't see the kingdom the way Jesus said in Matthew 5, 12, Great is your reward in heaven. Church, understand that it may be hard in this life, but there is a, a Father in heaven who is watching and saying, oh my goodness, they're getting it. Let us bless this behavior. God wants to bless you for doing things the right way, even if it's the hard way for now. Imagine when we die. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I don't know the social structure. We've got some ideas. I don't know that I'm going to, I know I'm not going to be the one to the right or the left of Jesus. Remember the disciples argued. So apparently there's going to be some sort of pecking order in heaven. Who's at the right of Jesus? Who's at the left of Jesus? I don't care. Give me a shack in heaven. Just give me Jesus. But there's a moment when we get there that we're going to confront our Savior. Great is the reward in heaven when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Folks, when you do hard things, you'll develop perseverance. You'll understand it comes with self-confidence. It'll make you more confident in who you are. You understand that it'll be an example to your children, to your families, to the people around you. But understand it will set you up for that moment in heaven when Jesus says, I know it was hard but enter into your rest. Yes, I know it's hard trying to do something that's unfamiliar, but eventually when you do it, you make music. And you make music that other people follow along and worship too. And that creates this environment and community that we believe doing hard things ultimately becomes something that enters into the kingdom. I like to think of what that's gonna look like someday. So don't be afraid of your Jerusalem. Do hard things because it will become that which God blesses. Let's pray. 
Lord, it's a challenge to parents today. It's a challenge to marriages today. The easy road is to just uh, get what we want now and pay for it later. The financial burden families have put on themselves. The the adulting we forced upon our children because we don't want to discipline them, and as a result, they still suffer the consequences of the world for doing things they're not ready for. Invite us as a church, Lord, that we don't think hard things are the consequences of our sins. We understand that the hard things you're calling us to do is to go into that Jerusalem, to go in that place where we were a person that we are no more, we're somebody totally different. It's going to surprise people. It may make our friends mad at us. It may make our marriage difficult for a season. It may be something in our community that we represent. And when we put the line in the sand, there's people who cross it. We say, I just can't. I understand you want to, but I can't. Doing those hard things, Lord, is what gives us the greater reward. I pray, Lord, this week we would measure up those Jerusalems, those places where we've come from that we know we've got to go back into, have those hard conversations and allow you to do your work, that which we believe in, the hope of what that relationship can be. Even through a season of hard times, it is so possible to have the reward of transparency and right relationship, both with the people we love and ultimately with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we close? And if you're here this morning and you thought life is hard, ask yourself the question, is it hard because of the consequences of bad things you've been doing, not doing things the right way, or is it hard because you're anxious about the conversation you have to have or the things you have to do. Pray about it. Picture in your mind something hopeful that you believe will be accomplished by doing it. Make a plan, and trust me, when you do it, God shows up. It's truly amazing the rewards he has for those who do things the right way. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time, and remember... God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people, just like you.